I went to the uh, doctor about a week or so ago for my annual physical and checkup and all. Uh, it was annual, but I actually hadn't been there in a couple of years. Uh, so things went fine, but uh, as I was reflecting on our passage today, which is James 1, 19 through 21, and, and the reflexes that it talks about, I realized, you know, at the, at the doctor, they, they didn't do that thing with the, the rubber mallet where they, you know, hit your knee and your leg jerks up. That's where knee jerk comes from, right? That, that response, those reflexes. And I was thinking, I don't... I did a little bit of research. I really didn't find any answers. I don't know, does that stop? Uh, maybe Dr. Nelson can tell me later. But uh, I, I don't know why. But I, that's the image that kind of comes to my mind as, as, as I reflect on James 1, 19 through 21. James gives us some instruction, as he does throughout the whole book, this, this letter of James, just about every other verse, as we've talked about numerous times, has a command, and this passage is, is right in line with that, a couple, two, three commands in just a couple of two, three verses. But this time, what he calls us to is to quick reflexes, that we would be quick to hear, but also to some slow reflexes, that we would be slow to speak, slow to anger. And later on in James chapter 3, he'll talk some more about how hard that is. And in fact, talk about how hard it is to tame our tongues. Yet here, he says very clearly and expects and, and, and even commands that, that we would improve. Clear expectation, we're never going to be perfect. But you know, I think all of us could say we could be a little better. But how does that happen? How do we change reflexes? How do we change what feels like kind of innate, automatic responses? Well, as we look at our passage today, we're going to find some help. Because this is God's word. It has power to transform us. If we will listen carefully, we will live differently. Would you read with me? Follow along in your scriptures if you have them or in the pew Bibles in front of you as we look at James 1, 19 through 21 of God's holy word. This you know, my beloved brothers, brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is trustworthy and true that it can transform us. And we trust you will do that because we come to your word in the name of Jesus and knowing that your spirit, Holy Spirit, you work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our, our physical bodies are, are amazingly complex. Uh, a lot of what they do, though, is also on autopilot. Again, reflecting this week about reflexes and things like that. Did, did, have you ever just consider that, you know, breathing, 
maybe the most important thing we do next to having our hearts beating. And neither one of those we really have to give much attention to, do we? Uh, I don't know that, you know, there's some kind of martial arts that maybe slow down your heart or whatever if you focus, that kind of thing, whatever. But I do know that if you start thinking about your breathing, you know, then you're like, okay, now I got to pay attention and now I got to breathe. But then sooner or later, right, you, you get distracted and you just, your body keeps breathing. Your heart keeps pumping. Other things being equal, right? Those things are on autopilot. Reflexes. They just usually work. You know, something is hot and you feel it through the nerve endings in your fingers and you kind of pull back or you yell or you do both. Uh, you know, that, you get hit on the knee at the doctor's office or, or whatever, you know, and, and you have that reaction. If your leg is hanging over the edge at the knee, you know, boom, you get hit on the knee, it flies forward. So your physical reflexes, they react to a stimulus in your body. So to your emotions, they respond to hits upon your soul. Anger or joy, fear or courage, shame, acceptance, you know, these, these all arise as life bangs into your heart, your soul, your, your core of who you are, especially as kind of life and relationships bang up against your deepest values, your, your most profound longings and desires, as your relationships with God, with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with other drivers on the road, you know, all those things. at work and it seems like what God is calling us to here is something more than just a response just what comes naturally that God here through James and these words that we're looking at today call us to do more than just respond without thinking because that's what we do right Sometimes the words just come out before the filter can engage. You know, just what's inside just kind of pops out. We, we can very easily just speak. It's very hard to slow down, to be quick to hear and slow to speak. You know, I've noticed just recently uh, how critical I am of other drivers on the road, which my family would tell you that's really nothing new, but I just realized this, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm basically, you know, none of you guys drive the right way, okay? Because I know the right way to drive, and no one does it. Why are they doing this? And these things just come out of my mouth, right? This is what's going on inside of me, and I'm like, well, why are they stopping? Why aren't they going? Why isn't she turning? Why is he doing that? And just all these things that pop out of my mouth. The questions just come out, and the, the tone will vary. Sometimes there's a, just a genuine curiosity. Why are they doing that? And then there's other times like, why are they doing that? Just on the road. And I've noticed this lately. And 
the question is, well, how, does it, how do I change that? How do I speak more graciously? How do I not let those things just blurt out of my mouth? And how do I find some good responses and, and minimize the bad? Because you do hear that echoed in little mouths around you, right? What, what comes out of you is echoed by those around you very often. And the reality is what? That if we want something different to come out, then something has to happen inside. That if there's something within that needs to change, then something within needs to change. And that's what the Lord is offering us today. Here in this passage is some help for us that something different might come out. And that would include maybe we respond a little more slowly. Maybe we listen a little longer. Maybe we are a little shorter fuse in our anger. And it doesn't just limit to those particular emotions of anger, right? Maybe, maybe we can find some freedom from shame. Maybe we can find uh, some courage. Maybe we can minimize our fear. Those things are all at play as we look at this passage. Because the first thing we need to recognize, if we want something different to come out, is that the problem is inside. In fact, the problem is the pride within. This is what James shows us in verses 19 and 20, that the problem is the pride within. Now look at verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is for everyone. Every uh, human being, you could put it that way. It's expected for all that we must be, he says, quick to hear. That's a, a command. And it's about a short interval that our hearing would kick in as a knee-jerk response. That it wouldn't take a long time, it would be a short time. On the other hand, what? That we would be slow to speak and slow to anger. That would be an extended period of time. That there would be a delay. Is that the what you experience in your life? You know? Just man, knee jerk, I'm listening. Woo! Yeah, right. Stuff starts coming out of somebody that I don't agree with. It's like, I'm like, nah. James is calling us to more than that. The scripture is calling us to more than that. And this is the same guy who's going to say in chapter 3 that no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It can set the world on fire. What's going on here? It's recognizing the problem. Right? Very, James very often will, will call us to something and it will highlight what's broken within us. It will highlight where we need to go for help as we come in humility. And James says, it started off, right, saying what? Consider it all joy when you hit those struggles. He's saying a similar kind of thing here, that you must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And in the context, it's a little challenging, actually, to figure out what we are to hear quickly, what it is we're supposed to be listening to. Uh, the commentaries and, and people study the Bible, it's basically two things. Uh, it's either 
the word of God, which is mentioned right before this in verses 17 and 18, and then afterwards when he says, what, be hearers, quick, you know, be not just hearers of the word, but doers, next few verses. So you can say, yeah, okay, maybe it's here, but then it's linked so closely with being slow to speak and slow to anger, the sense isn't that, that you're being slow to speak to God or you know, slow to anger at God. It seems to be more horizontal. It's a debate. What is it we're supposed to listen to? And I lean, as I look through it, I lean toward, it's, he's speaking about listening to the word of God and having it be in your mind and close to you. But I'm, I'm also open to the other idea that maybe it's actually you know, listening to other people. But the bottom line is I wrestled with that interpretive issue is that in, in a sense it doesn't matter because the underlying issue whether it's it's being quick to listen to God or quick to listen to other people the same root is at play then essentially what I want is my way or no way and that's why I don't listen to other people or to God it's why you don't either right because you're thinking about yourself you're focused on your concerns and, and you're not listening to the inputs that are coming your way. That's the, that's the tension that we have. It's the pride within us that would lead us to speak quickly and to listen slowly. You know, as I'm driving around and, and, I'm, and these questions are coming out about other drivers and, you know, the, why aren't they turning? You know, we're in the turn lane, the light's green, why aren't they going? And I've, I've learned this one eventually, just, there's probably somebody in the crosswalk, right? You can't turn if there's a human being in the crosswalk. And sometimes you can't see that when you're behind someone in traffic, right? So I'm, I'm sitting there turn lane, I'm like, why, why aren't they turning? The light's green, why aren't they going, you know? And my, my gracious wife will, will say, you know, there's probably somebody in the crosswalk. And I'm like, why? What, what are they doing? Why are they going so slow? Why don't they speed up? Well, I'm wondering, maybe they're lost and they're looking at street signs. You know, they seem to, to be hesitating. And, and, like, and when she says these things, I'm like, I realize I don't even care. I don't really want the answer. I don't want to know. You know what I want? I want to get out of my way. I want to go where I'm going. I want to do what I'm doing. And those questions are just coming out as an expression of that. And, and, I, and we've, we've worked on this recently, and my wife is, is starting to practice this. I know, right? Whenever I say one of those questions. She doesn't give me an answer. She's like, yeah, I know, right? Why don't they turn? And she's like, mm, I know why they're not turning. And what's your deal? Those questions that come out, right? What, what are they saying in our hearts? Why? Why, what frustrates you? Why, what is the thing that comes out of you when you're frustrated? What, what leads to your frustration? What, what, what gets you to talk back to the TV? Right? What gets you talking back in your heart, if not out loud, as you read your social media feeds? Right? What comes out or what is just in there inside that would come out but you've got to control it? What, what are the things that are going on? You know, the, from a practical standpoint, one of the great things we can do is begin to pay attention to those things. And one of the beautiful things that, that, that happens in a community, if we're all 
you know, interested in loving each other well as we kind of begin to, to talk that through in ways where, you know what, we can address things. And so, you know, my gracious wife asked, you know, trying to answer those questions and, and being frustrated, like just kind of exploring that. Why am I so frustrated when she answers the questions? Like, yeah, that probably is what they're doing. But, oh, and they realize, you know what, I don't really want the answer. What I really want is just my way. My way or no way, really. And obviously, that's not God's way. Right? That's not God's way. Look at verse 20. He says, The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not, verse 20, achieve the righteousness of God. The, the high emotions... And very little, you know, there is, and we've talked about this in, in the past, in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, and, uh, there is, in chapter 5, there is a righteous anger that human beings can have, and it's really rare. Whenever there's anger in us, it's, it's almost always going, it's a huge temptation, as James is fond of pointing out to us, but there's this high likelihood that it's not righteous anger. There are exceptions. But more often than not, it's essentially what? I'm not getting my way. That's what leads to my frustration. It could be when I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do a project around the house. It could be driving down the road. It could be trying to teach someone. It could be trying to share the gospel with someone. It could be trying to get other people on board with what you want to do. All those things. There could be this, this, this frustration, this anger. And as, as our emotions rank up, and it's just not just anger, but say our fear or any other emotion, as they go higher, we stop thinking rationally. That, that Those things are related. The, the higher our emotional point the lower our rational ability at the moment that is the way we are wired and so to recognize this is not what God wants God is not against our emotions he designed them and our our our, our need is to figure out how to go with them how to let the emotions move us in healthy directions and very often, anger just leads to destruction. And it could be just words that hurt other people's feelings, words that just make other people uncomfortable. It could be words that just drive people away as we speak out of anger and we don't listen to what other people have to say. We'll cover all that tongue, uh, you know, how hard it is to tame the tongue a little bit later, Lord willing, and especially in chapter 3. But if you, if you think about this as not God's way, the anger of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of God, what that's saying is that there is a way that God wants us to live. There, there, we are to be working for what God wants. James uses that word achieve, in the NASB, it says doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. In the ESV, it says doesn't produce, as he talks about the righteousness here, and it achieve. It's, it's from the same root as the word for works, as in deeds and actions. And it's sometimes confusing as we look at a passage like this where we know the Bible says 
that the righteousness of God is by faith. It's a free gift. Romans 1, 17, 3, 21 to 26. Romans 5, 17. It's a free gift apart from works. Romans 4, 1 to 5, among other places, right? That the righteousness of God is a gift. So what is he talking about when he says that our anger doesn't produce or achieve or work the righteousness of God? I thought righteousness was a gift. Okay, we'll cover this more in James chapter 2, and I'm guessing Pastor Dave will hit a little bit on it next week as James begins to speak about being hearers, not just hearers, but being doers. The, the emphasis here is that what James is talking about is, is a true and saving faith. James's concern is not that you would be uh, doing dead works that actually don't save you, which was very much Paul's focus in Romans. The people were resting in their own good works to get them into heaven. And Paul says, no, 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 you're, those are dead works if you don't have faith. James is kind of the counterpoint to that where he's saying, yeah, you know, if you don't have any works, your faith is dead. So Paul is dead works. James is dead faith. It's a little more complicated than that, but that's a good way to remember it. And what he's saying is if you have a true faith, James is saying if you have a live faith, if your faith is in Jesus, it's going to produce stuff. And what it's going to produce, what it's going to achieve, what it's going to work is God-honoring things. The righteousness of God. James is again echoing Jesus when Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, there at the beginning almost of the Sermon on the Mount, when he said what? Your righteousness needs to exceed, surpass, be more than that of the scribes and the Pharisees who did a ton of really righteous deeds. And then Jesus goes to unpack a lot of the law there in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Starting with, you've heard it said that You shall not kill. But I tell you, if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of hellfire. Jesus is talking about the righteousness of God as what it looks like for you to live right with God. To live God's way. And the, the error that we make sometimes is we try to do that without actually having a confidence in God and a faith in God, and that's, that's going to be a dead work situation. Or we think, though, that we really believe when it makes absolutely no difference in our life. And that means it's not really a, a living faith within us. Because if that faith is alive, it's going to produce. It's going to achieve. It's going to work itself out. You'll know a tree by its fruit. If it's a good tree, it bears good fruit. Not perfect fruit. But not all rotten fruit. It's James' emphasis here. We'll talk more about it in the future as well. It's Jesus' emphasis. And it points to this reality that something has to be different within us. If we want something different to come out, something different has to be in. And the great problem we have is very much pride. It says it's my way or no way. Uh, that leads us not into God's way. It's a pride that cuts us off from God, from other people. 
And the question then becomes, well, what can save us? What can change us? What can transform us? What can make us different? What the problem is within, then the solution has to be within. We need something to happen inside, and so that's our second main point here, is not only the problem of pride is within, but the power is the word within. That the power is the word within. If you, look at, if you look at verse 21, there's a lot in that one verse. And the phrases are all really closely related, the, the words and, and, and their interactions. It's, it's, all, it's very tight. And so to pull it apart and look at it, you could do it in a number of ways. So as we look at it, the, the, the first thing to notice is that James, James recalls the location of the word and its power. Look at verse 21. Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Right? The power is the word within you. It is planted within you. And this word implanted wasn't a, a common word. And it seems most likely the sense of it is actually kind of rooted within or inborn even, or permanently in place, maybe even a sense of being a natural thing, which isn't, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word implanted, I, I'm not thinking rooted or, or natural, but that's the sense of this word, that it becomes something now that is intrinsic, that that plant has been rooted and grounded. It's now branching out. You're not going to get that tree out now. It is in the ground. It is in the dirt. The roots are going everywhere. You can't pull that thing out. That's the word implanted, if it's truly planted. It's rooted deep. That's the, the essence of what Jesus talked about with the new birth, with the new heart. It's what it means to go from death to life, to be dead in transgressions and sins, to be made alive, to be born again. Because we are, by nature, children of wrath. We are opposed to God. We are dead in our transgressions and sins, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 tells us. Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 3, that you have to be born again, not just physically, but now spiritually, to see the kingdom of God. And when Jesus talks about the kingdom... To people on earth, he is more often than not talking about living in a right relationship with God, of working out a true and honest belief in who God is, of, of living in a different way, that God would be first and matter most of all, that he would be the king and you would be in his kingdom. That's, that's the emphasis. And for us, that's only going to come by faith to believe that, to be transformed, to be changed from death to life. And that's the reason that James says here that it's the word implanted which is able to save your souls. That has a couple of senses, right? That, that Yes, ultimately, it is only the word implanted in us, the new birth, the coming to faith in Jesus and putting our confidence in him. That's the only thing that's going to save our souls from eternal damnation from hell itself, and it's also the only thing that's going to save your soul now, that's going to do you good now, is to live in a way that is right with God, to have that relationship with God restored, that, that, that you would see life clearly. 
that you would be transformed and want to do what your maker made you to do. To be who God wants you to be, which is always going to be for your best. Even so much so that the struggles and trials you're going through can be counted as joy because they are working towards your maturity, to your growth, to your character, which is ultimately what this is about, right? The word being planted in you, changing your heart, changing you, it's transforming you, who you are at a core fundamental level. That's the way you get different stuff to come out of your mouth. That's the way you get to choose different actions. It's not by trying harder exclusively. It is primarily by the Word of God working in you that then flows out from you. It's almost like the, uh, the Word entering your life into your heart, into your soul, is like a permanent upgrade to your operating system, right? You know, you're born with this kind of buggy operating system and you know the apps you fire up the apps you know you fire up the marriage app and man it just doesn't function right i mean it's like this doesn't this thing is like slow or like it's broken you know i'm i'm, I'm trying to run the app and it's like get the, if you're on the mac you get that beach ball of death it's just spinning you know it's spinning i thought it was supposed to be good you know or you fire up you know you, you fire up the 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 neighbor app you know and you're like wow man i just tried to love them they're like really angry you fire up the driving app and you're like, people are annoying. You fire up these apps or you got a faulty operating system. Maybe it's got a virus in it. And the word comes and it says you don't just need a different app. Okay? It's not like add the Christian app. It's not like add the good deeds app. It's like you need your operating system to be completely overhauled. Jesus OS. That's what needs to be in here. And you still got a ton of buggy apps, right? You'd be working on upgrades on them. That's what's going on. That's, that's, that's what he's talking about. The word implanted in us. It's a whole major overhaul of what's inside. Of everything that then runs on top of it. That's the only way to really carry out what Jesus says. You know, make a tree good and it'll bear good fruit, or else the tree is bad and it bears bad fruit. He's saying something deep down, profound, at the root has to change. And it comes through the Word. Because what he says, second of all, James here in this passage, is that it's not just, it's not just this... Uh, upgrade of the word planted in you, but then there's this expectation that you would, you would put off all this from you. To put off all the sin and brokenness from you. Look at verse 21 again. <clears throat> it says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. The image there is, is kind of like the one of Ephesians chapter 4, 22 to 24, where Paul says, you know, put this off, put this on. Put off the sin, put this on. If you have truly understood Christ and know who he is, this is what's going to be happening. That you're putting aside the filthiness and all that remains of the wickedness. The filthiness there is a word that's it's about moral uncleanness, of, of 
wanting what is wrong, doing what is wrong, with, with the image of kind of it just sticks to you. It's, it's, you're dirty, you know. And if you sin sometimes, do you not kind of feel that? Is that not what shame is really about, of this feeling of I'm dirty and everyone can see it? I need to be washed clean. That's the sense of filthiness, that, that I need to be clean, washed, free of that dirtiness. Wickedness here has the sense of, and by the way, it's not, I don't understand the NASB's choice of remains of wickedness. Uh, it's, ESV says rampant. The sense of the word they translate here as remains is, is overflowing. It's actually the same word Jesus uses when he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And James is saying, out of the overflow of your badness or evil or malice, wickedness is a sense there. Uh, it's out of your overflowing badness. This, this attitudinal, this disposition, deep down, right? James is saying that has to change. And the power is the word coming into your life that that overflowing badness, that clinging to dirtiness, can be transformed. The washing of the water and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Titus chapter 3. Right? Ezekiel speaks of the Holy Spirit coming and taking out your heart of stone, giving you a heart of flesh, sprinkling clean water upon you. The promises of the new covenant, that God would put the word on our hearts. You know, all of these things coming together here in these images, in this picture, that we need transformation from the inside. that we really can be different, that we can have a hope and a confidence that we can grow and, and put off more than we have, that we can, we can be a little quicker to listen. We can be a little slower to anger. That's not going to come by trying harder in and of itself. It's going to come with a transformation from the inside, with the word being planted deep, that the that ultimately then rests in this last word that I haven't hit yet. If you look at verse 21 one more time, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted. In humility receive the word. You see, the first part of the problem within us is the pride. And here James is saying the solution is the humility. The humility to receive, he says. Why is he saying to receive? I don't know about you, but that conjures up an image you know, of an empty hand receiving something. You know, give me this. I, I'm putting my hand out, or maybe even grasping. I want to receive this thing. I will take it from you, the baton. You're passing it to me. I'll receive that. He's already said, though, he's writing to Christians. He says again and again and again, brothers, beloved brethren, in chapter 2, just a moment, he will speak of holding your faith in the Lord Jesus in a way that doesn't have an attitude of favoritism. He's writing to Christians, to people who have been born again, he said in verses 17 and 18, the implication from the Father of lights. What's he, what is it to receive? Again, this is, it's helpful to understand, to, to, to search your scriptures, say, well, what does this word receive? It's the word Jesus used 
when he sent the disciples out and said, you go into some towns and if they receive you and your message, good, you know, preach to them. Eat what they put before you. But if they reject you, move on, shake the dust off of your feet. It'll be better for that city and better for Sodom than that city in the day of judgment. If they receive you or they receive your message, it's, it's a word actually of hospitality. To welcome the word. It requires this humility, right? This brokenness. To say, you know what? What I most need, I have tried hard. What I need, Lord, is you. Your word is more precious to me than honey. I need to live by it more than just bread alone. It's to receive that word. You know, the, the image that comes to my mind is like, you know, you're not just welcoming the word into your house. You know, it's, it, you put the word up in a hotel in town. You say, yeah, sure, come on over for dinner. You know, like we have missionaries come visit, right? We're like, yeah, we put you in a hotel, you know, or put you up at that person's house. You come to my house for dinner. Maybe you go to the heiress's house for dinner a different day, you know, and then you leave, right? It's like, no, this is like invite the word into your house. Put it up in the spare bedroom, right? Well, maybe you even just move out of your bedroom and you let the word stay in there. And in fact, you don't just let the word stay in there, but like you, you like, you invite the word, not just down for meals, but into your living room. And you know what the word wants in the most gracious way possible? The word says, yeah, that's great. I love it. I love being here with you. I love that you listen to me and we have these conversations here at home and maybe even at the table. Like you're like, hey, yeah, you pray and give thanks to God. And the word's like, that's great. That's great. You know what? But the word says, hey, let's go to work today. Oh, the word wants to go with you to your job. And the word wants to say, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that's the way you're supposed to be doing that. I'm not sure you should be speaking that way to somebody. What's going on in your heart as you, you know? And the word's like, I want to drive with you. The word's right there, right? The word says, you know what? I want to be in your marriage. And the way you're talking to your wife and the way you're talking to your husband. I want to be with you when you're alone and you're walking down the street. I want to be with you as you're surfing the internet and on your social media. This is the word. And are you welcoming it there? Or are you like, no, nah, turn the lights off, the little darkness here, the word. No, you stay over there. Word, don't you need to go on a trip for a little while? To welcome the word, to receive the word, it's just this humility. It's not satisfied. You know, sometimes we'll take the five minutes, right? And that'll be a treasure in the Word. We'll take 30 minutes sometimes, and it's wonderful. But the danger we have is saying, you know, that's enough. Now, don't take that in a guilt-inducing, i got to try harder kind of way, but to be in a place where you're like, I, this is what I really need. That I can't face this messed up world around me and I can't hope to love my wife and to be kind to other drivers without the Word of God working actively in my life and my heart that I would be humble. That I would be gentle. And you know, the thing is 
as you think about the word in that way, coming into your house, you're basically, we're talking about Jesus, the living word of God. The one who comes to us, meek, same word as the humility word here, essentially, riding on a donkey. You know, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he comes to serve. That's his humility. The one who said, blessed are the meek, same humility word, they shall inherit the earth. The one who says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am humble, gentle, and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. Who rejected Jesus? Who rejects Jesus? Those who are proud. Right? And we can, we can do it in a lot of ways. We can just be like, yeah, you know, I go to church, but I'm good the rest of the time. I read my Bible for 30 minutes in the morning. Don't think about it again all day long. In even worse ways. You know, the people that reject Jesus in his day on earth were the most religious of people. The Pharisees. As well as the most liberal of people, the Sadducees. The people wouldn't listen to him. The people who did not welcome him because he welcomed sinners. Because he welcomed everyone. And because as he welcomed them, he didn't just say, you're okay to stay as you are. He said, look, this is the way you need to live. And I'm not just going to tell you that and send you off. I'm going to stick with you. Jesus says, I'm going to put my reputation on the line. I'm going to take a lot of heat for hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and other enemies of the state. I'm going to take a lot of heat in my personal reputation. I will, in fact, be utterly rejected by humanity for you. Because in me taking that on, I will accept all of the rejection that you will ever experience in your whole life. I will accept all the rejection you have ever dished out to other people. All the condemnation you have ever heaped on anyone else. I will take that, Jesus says. And in fact, as I'm doing all that, I am living perfectly in a way that you never will. I never said a wrong word my whole life, Jesus says. Jesus lives perfectly. He dies sacrificially and he rises victoriously. That you would receive him. You would say, that's what I need. Jesus, give me more of you. Give me more of your perfect life. How you were tempted in every way, yet without sin. Give me more of that. Jesus, that is what I need. You are my only hope. Would you come and be more to me? Would you transform me and make me more like you. As you consider this command to, to be quick to listen, to be slow to speak, slow to get angry, as you wrestle with that this week, just I mean, try it. Pay attention. Maybe first of all, just pay attention. How slow are you to speak? How slow are you to get angry? 
quick are you to listen? It could be to God and his word. It could be to other people. And as you pay attention to that, whatever comes out of that, take it to Jesus. In your weakness, in your brokenness, take it to Jesus. And say, Jesus, I'm here and I want to listen. I'm here and I want to hear. And don't be surprised if more things pop up as you say that and as things come along that are going to help you and you don't recognize them and you resist them and reject them. Reject them. Whatever happens as you're, as you're saying, Lord Jesus, I want more of you, the things that pop up and you're like, ah, and you're getting more angry or whatever it is. Like, that's the thing probably that he's working. Because what he's doing It's the great verse in this, in this book of James. Chapter 4, verse 6. He gives greater grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It is this Jesus... It wants to transform your pride into this humility that then sends you forth with a great confidence that lifts you up. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, our anger bursts into flames pretty quickly. Our tongue sets other people's forests on fire as well. We are far from knee-jerk in our hearing. We are very often knee-jerk in our words and our responses on our own. We try to fix those things sometimes on our own, Lord, and it hasn't worked. So we ask you today, would you fix them? Lord, we, we welcome your word to mess with our hearts, to mess with our values, to mess with our desires, to dig deep down into who we fundamentally are, that we might be different, that we might be more like you. Jesus. And we know you can do that. We've seen you do it. We've seen you transform people. Anger into humility, fear into courage, grief, sorrow into hope. Do that among us. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen.